Good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. If you need help keeping track, today is Monday, March 29th, last Monday of the month. And it's not the last Monday of the legislative session. They are now in week 13 of the 2021 General Assembly. And with us to tell us all about what's going on this week is Representative Randy Fry. Good morning, sir. How are you today? You know, Jody, I'm really good. It's uh, another spring morning. The birds are singing. The grass is green. Saturday was perfect weather. you got to be in a good mood. And uh, so we're ready to get back to work in the, in the House Representatives today and uh, complete, continue our work. Yes, absolutely. Now, you had a busy week last week. You had multiple bills being read each day uh, when mm-hmm. we spoke with you. What's it look like this week? It's going to be busy. Uh, Today, uh, there's 29 bills on second reading and eight bills on third reading. Second reading is where bills can be amended. Third reading is where the merits of the bill is debated. But uh, that means tomorrow there'll be 29 bills on third reading, and who knows how many on second, possibly that many. So uh, when you start getting 50 to 60 bills a day on a calendar, uh, those are 8, 10, 12-hour days. and, And that's going to be the way it is now until we get to the end of the second half of session. Uh, committees are winding down. There's not near as many committees meeting now. And uh, and more and more of the work is shifted from the committee to the uh, to the House floor. So that's where we'll be uh, this, uh, uh, this week and next week, um, heading toward the end of session. After the end of the second half, we go into the conference committee phase. That's where the budget will be reconciled between the Senate and the House. Once that the budget's voted. Uh, there's really no other reason to uh, to be there, other than uh, uh, you know just to finish the bills that we're all working on. But the one that we're required to be complete is the budget. So, getting we're getting there. It won't be long. We'll be done. Yeah, close to the to the finish line here. Now, we spoke with Senator Jean Lysing last week, and she expressed some concern with. Um, the legislative session overall finishing a week early. How are you feeling with that? Well, I think uh, as long as we get our work done, that's probably a good thing. Uh, the legislature ending early means that we're uh, going to save taxpayer dollars. We're going to be more efficient. We're going to get things done quicker. And uh, so uh, overall, I think it's a good thing as long as we get our work done. I will say that there's a difference between completing the legislative session and doing what's called sine die. Sine die is when you say, uh, you make a motion that the session ends and, and then it's with sine die, it means it's done. You're done. You can't reconvene until you're called back into session. However, when it comes to um, a recess, the speaker and the president pro tem of the Senate can recess both chambers you're not coming back right away. You may not come back the next day or the day after or even the day after that, but you could come back. And then another thing can be done is the deadline can be extended. Currently, we have to be done by law by the 29th of April, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that date can't be moved out. Uh, so there's a couple options. One is we could be called back for a special session later on for the redistricting, or we could simply recess and come back when that data is available without having to be called back in the special session. So that's uh, that's uh, the uh, um, options that are available. So you know, as long as we get our work done, that, that should be fine. 
Well, and and speaking of the possibility of a recess, um, redistricting is still on the agenda. And with census data still being delayed, um, you know, you spoke about the possibility of a special session later on to do that. Um, is it possible it could just be recessed? That way you guys could meet without having to uh, call another session. I think it's possible, absolutely. And uh, another another thing about that is if we are uh, uh, out of session, for instance, we're signing die and we're no longer in session, then things change with COVID. We can't, uh, ha- we won't have a say again. Uh, however, if we recess, we can just simply come back into session and uh, and take public testimony and, and consider uh, whether or not Indiana's on the right track with, with whatever direction we're headed as a, with regards to the next COVID orders, for instance. So uh, I, think there's a, I think there's an equal amount of interest amongst legislators to not sine die, but to uh, recess and uh, sort of keep our, uh, our ability to come back uh, within the control of the House. Well, and of course, since the last time we've spoke, the governor announced that the mask mandate will go to a mask mm-hmm. recommendation and, and the limits on crowd sizes will be um, controlled locally. And that will start April 6th. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. do you, are, of course, we imagine and hope and pray that everything is going to go swimmingly and we don't have to worry about COVID anymore. Um, but did that mm-hmm. meet what you guys were hoping for um, with building more legislation on trying to end both the mask mandate and crowd limits? Well, I think it, it did as far as the mask mandate and the crowd limit. I mean, we wanted April 1st and we got April 5th. You're now going to you know, stop the world over five days. Um, the other thing is, though, I think there still needs to be some uh, guardrails put in place. Uh, not only in this situation, but we don't know what's coming in the next situation. Uh, we, need the, we believe the General Assembly needs to be able to call himself back into session. Uh, if we could do that, then we can uh, come back in and, and begin to make um, impact. Uh, the General Assembly is the voice of the people, and the people's voice needs to be heard. Um, obviously, the governor did everything that he could to protect us. I think he did a great job. But there are things that uh, I would have liked to have heard from the citizens in regard to um, what was essential and non-essential business, for instance. How about closing churches, for instance? And so uh, I think that that needs to be put in place. I think we need to make sure that we protect the rights of the citizens by the Constitution. And so there are a couple of adjustments that could be made there. Overall, I, I think the governor's done a fantastic job. But uh, he had a terrible situation to deal with. No one had had a pandemic in our lifetime. No one knew how bad this was going to be. We were going on predictions of something nobody had ever seen before. And so I, I think overall, um, and, and just look at where Indiana's at. Our unemployment today is 4%, 4%. It's considered full employment. Uh, our economy is strong. It's booming. People are doing well um, for the most part. Uh, and there's uh, help coming for those uh, in the hospitality industry that uh, suffered the most, I think. And so uh, I think overall we're, uh, we're well on our way to getting past this. We have to be careful. We have to, to know that it could flare up again. An awful lot of folks have been vaccinated, myself included. And uh, so our most vulnerable, who are most likely to perish, have uh, been vaccinated or at least have it available to them. And uh, that doesn't mean you don't you can't wear the mask, Jody. It means you don't have to. Mm. 
you know, um, anyone who feels like they still need to protect themselves and they think the mask is, is going to protect them should wear it. Those who don't feel comfortable going in large crowds shouldn't go. You know, we're, we're, we're Americans. We're, we're smart people. We can protect ourselves and take care of ourselves. And so um, that, that's, uh, I think it's important to note that just because the mandate ended doesn't mean you can't do it if you, don't want, if you wanted to. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll continue speaking with Representative Randy Fry. And we're back. If we've just tuned in today, it's Legislative Monday, and we are speaking with Representative Randy Fry about week 13 at the State House. Well, we're going to switch topics now, and um, an interesting bill to see coming across, as on Wednesday our show will feature um, how mental health and substance abuse has affected Ripley County, and that's a Senate Bill 63, Mental Health Treatment for Inmates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super, super important to see this come across. It is, Jody. Um, on Wednesday, you are talking about how it's affected Ripley County. Are you looking at it from the perspective of the criminal justice system as well? Yes, actually, we will. Um, we were lucky to feature. It's the Ripley County uh, Drug Awareness Coalition, and uh, mm-hmm. we get to feature mm-hmm. uh, Prosecutor Rick Hurdle and Batesville Police mm-hmm. Chief Stan Holt, as um, well as uh, Dr. Tim Putnam. Um, so very interesting, uh, mm-hmm. s- interesting information from all three of those gentlemen. And I've been a part of, or met with the coalition before. So uh, I think it's a excellent, uh, coalition. I think it's a, it's a great subject that you're having. And I hope to, uh, at least be able to, to get the synopsis of what everyone had to say. Um, Jody, uh, you know, last three or four years, I've worked pretty hard on, on uh, jail overcrowding and even criminal justice reform with some of my colleagues. And one of the things that we saw over and over is the need for mental health treatment uh, in our, our criminal justice system, both at the state and the county level. And it's, there's still a lot of room. We still have a lot of work to do to improve that. Uh, we know that substance abuse and uh, mental health are two huge factors in uh, why someone ends up in the criminal justice system. So Senate Bill 63, uh, sponsored by uh, Representative Sharon Nagel, enhances the ability of the Indiana Department of Corrections to provide mental health treatment to offenders while also helping ease the transition period for offenders going between the Department of Corrections facility and an outside mental health treatment center. Jody, these people are really sick. These are the people who are just not ready yet to go back out into society, and their time with the Department of Corrections has come to an end. And what do we do? If we can't find a bed for them in a private facility, how do we, how do we take care of them? Do we, if we release them into society and they're not ready mentally, they're going to end up in a criminal justice system again. Uh, and so what this does is it in, ensures the inmate with serious illness or disability have a safe place to stay while they wait to receive proper treatment, thereby fulfilling their critical need for the population. 20% of Indian Department of Corrections offenders have mental health diagnosis. So obviously this is a, a serious issue and one that we need to make sure that we uh, do everything that we can to protect um, society by not releasing someone into society who isn't ready. Um, the transition from um, being incarcerated to being back out in the general population is difficult enough. And so we just have to make sure that uh, we uh, can continue to uh, uh, try to provide them with the best quality treatment. 
Yeah, unfortunately, so many people get pushed by the wayside for their mental treatment, for their mental health treatment. Um, and, and so um, being able to desperately help the people that are in the most need is important. Jody, when we did the Jail Overcrowding Task Force a few years ago, traveled around the state, the thing that we constantly heard was that our jails had become our mental health facilities. You know, we, we, years ago, we had facilities for those who had mental health issues, and those state facilities were closed, and they moved to more of a, a group home type setting. Well, um, it works in some cases, but not all cases. And so what we found is that we have a lot of folks who are ending up in the, uh, in the in the criminal justice system who are there most likely because of their mental illness. And then you can also have mental illness that's tied together with drug addiction and you, you have an even worse problem. So um, I would be uh, really interesting, interested to hear uh, what uh, Chief Holt and uh, Prosecutor Hurdle and uh, uh, those on your panel have to say. Uh, and we, we need to talk, all of us, and to continue to try to work this problem and try to help both those who are mentally ill and, and protect society from those who uh, become very violent and, and, and commit crimes. Yeah. And kind of switching topics here, but kind of staying on the same path here, uh, Senate Bill 167. This comes up a lot in the news lately, and that is theft and sale of catalytic converters. And I can't help but think well, that they, yeah. they possibly link together um, with people trying to do this to possibly get money for drugs or, or other things? Well, I'm sure that's true, Jody. I mean, uh, people commit crimes and steal products all the time for various reasons, but it's almost always to get money. Mm. Uh, and what they do with the money is is uh, debatable, but uh, in a lot of cases it is to get drugs. So what uh, Senate Bill 167 does is it provides that a theft of a component part of a motor vehicle, including Kelly Converter, is a level six felony. That's a serious offense. It's a felony. Um, what we found, and, and Jody, when we write these laws, we go to our attorneys and legislative services, and we try to get a, a what we call a tight law. doesn't have uh, loopholes in it, and it's, it has the uh, ability to be enforced, and, and it's effective. But sometimes loopholes show up, and there's a loophole in this bill that we're closing, uh, and it says Senate Bill 167 closes a loophole in existing law by defining component part of a motor vehicle to include a catalytic converter. Evidently, uh, currently, if someone steals a catalytic converter, it may not be considered a component of a motor vehicle. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure the author of the bill thought it was at the time the bill was drafted. So now there's no doubt that a catalytic converter is considered a component of a, a motor vehicle. Uh, Allow, uh, it, it's, it makes this a level six felony, but it also makes a level six felony if a purchaser knowingly purchases a stolen Kelly converter or doesn't do the proper paperwork. Uh, it provides that a metal de dealer who knowingly or intentionally fails to comply with certain statutes paperwork regarding the purchase of a valuable metal, including this statute disallowing a valuable metal dealer from purchasing a catalytic converter not attached to a motor vehicle at the time of the sale or attempted sale and purchases a stolen valuable metal commits a level six felony that's serious stuff again so what what we're trying to do is we're trying to prevent those from stealing it and we're trying to close off the market if they do steal it so they can't sell it anyone who's willing to uh, 
um, by this stolen catalytic converter is putting themselves at great risk. And so that's that's um, the genesis behind Senate Bill 167. We continue to try to uh, to slow and stop this uh, the uh, theft of, of catalytic converters, and hopefully this will make a big difference. Yeah, unfortunately, it just pops up everywhere. Um, even as far as um, I've seen reports from Jennings County, you know, telling citizens, please don't park your car in dark areas that um, or areas you're unfamiliar. Um, you know, that the catalytic converter theft has gone up so much over the last year. Uh-huh. No, not that I know, but um, I understand that you could um, pretty much remove one of these pretty quickly with a, a battery saw. So. We don't want uh, that to be happening. It would certainly be a devastating thing to come out and start your car and realize your catalytic converter was gone. And so uh, we uh, we don't want that. We want to prevent it, and we want to punish those who are doing it and punish those who are buying them. So let's hope uh, Senate Bill 167 uh, will have that positive effect. Yes, absolutely. As somebody whose catalytic converter actually just failed one time, um, it's not fun to drive mm-hmm. a car that, that has that issue um, they they don't tend to drive very fast or very well when that happens. No, they don't, and they're uh, expensive to replace. Absolutely, even on older cars. <laughs> I will speak from experience. So, well, one bill that we have talked about several times is House Bill mm-hmm. 1032, the Safe Haven Baby Box legislation. Um, you had it held up mm-hmm. a little bit. How is it going so far? It's set for a hearing in the Senate Committee on Family and Children's Services today at 10 a.m. So I anticipate it will be amended and voted out, and that will be wonderful news. It will head for the Senate. Uh, it could be on second reading as quick as tomorrow, uh, if not Thursday, which would be either on third reading Thursday or Monday, and then uh, we'd be eligible for a concurrence. Hopefully we can do a concurrence, which means that we agree with the changes made in the Senate. It will be voted on one more time in the House and on its way to the governor for his signature. That's optimism. Let's hope it happens that way. Uh, there, I think we've talked about this before, but there's 26 different ways for a bill to fail. And having to go 26 and 0 is pretty difficult. So uh, let's hope that we can get it all the way to the governor for his signature. This, this bill is really important for rural Indiana. I know Batesville has a safe haven baby box at Margaret Mary Community Hospital. But many counties don't have a hospital. Um, and frankly, uh, Margaret Mary Community Hospital sits in Franklin County. So, uh, Ripley County technically doesn't have a hospital, mm-hmm. but neither does Switzerland County, neither does Ohio County. Um, so a lot of counties don't have a hospital. Uh, they also don't have a full time professional paid fire department. So, they can't get a safe haven baby box. Switzerland County, for instance, can't have one right now. So uh, we're trying to find ways to improve the ability to have those boxes. And the bill allows for a volunteer fire department to host one as long as the uh, baby box, uh, as long as the fire department is within the jurisdiction of a professional paid police department. It also allows them to be hosted in an EMS station or a 911 station. And it provides immunity for the mother if she surrenders her child in a safe haven baby box, no matter what facility it's in. Current law says only if uh, she surrenders her child at a um, at, at a hospital. So um, that's what the bill does. It's a very simple bill, and uh, hopefully it'll sail right on through. 
Well, I'm sure you'll definitely keep us updated on how that bill goes through the Senate committee this morning. Yeah, yeah I should know sometime by 11, and um, uh, hopefully it'll be on its way. Absolutely. Well, while we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, uh, there's a lot to be done yet in the session. Uh, of course, the budget is the number one thing, and it'll be around $36 billion. Approximately half of that budget, about um, $18 billion, will go to K-12 education. Uh, there's another, I understand, $3 billion coming to public education from the federal stimulus. So an awful lot of money is going to be going to education, which is going to help our schools uh, recover from the, the pandemic and then get ourselves uh, off and running uh, and going again back to what we all know as normal Indiana. Uh, my goal is that uh, we can have county fairs, we can have firemen's festivals, we, we can have graduation parties, uh, and we can hold graduation from one thing. So uh, let, let's hope uh, that we can uh, get get going, get back to normal, but at the same time, you know, we just got to make sure that we don't uh, have a a big flare-up of COVID and have to do things again to slow things down. I don't want that. Nobody does that I know of. And, uh, let's, let's all take care of one another and try to stay safe and healthy and get Indiana back on track.